Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law and Courtroom Quarterback. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. And we have a lot to talk about this week. But Chris, let's just start off by saying thank you so much for doing this with me. This has been a blast. I I really (laughs) enjoy once a week going to my dungeon, my basement, talking law and sports with you. It is a lot of fun. And Chris, we have a lot to talk about this week. This is one of these great weeks. This is why we do the podcast. So For sure. Let, let's start right off here, right off the top. We have a lot to uncover this week. Let me just do a little bit of a teaser. This is a time, if you like to watch and observe legal proceedings and football, this is your week. Uh, and, and throw in Turkey as well. But nonetheless, uh, you've got the Maxwell trial going on. Uh, talking about a huge trial in the news. Names, name dropping this week with um, President Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Prince mm-hmm. Andrew. Uh, you know, all, even John Glenn. There's a John Glenn reference this week. Big time trial uh, involving salacious details. You got the Jesse Smollett trial going right. on as well. Uh, and you have the Elizabeth Holmes trial. This is where this lady was 18 years old, became a billionaire, I believe, and then lost it all. She was a billionaire for a minute and lost it all, and now she's on trial. It's like, yeah, let's kick the lady while she's down. And, you know, as if that weren't enough, is Roe v. Wade going to be overturned? So there's an awful lot going on in this week's legal proceedings. Where do you want to dig in first? Let's start with uh, the Maxwell trial. We'll we'll work our way down from there because that one's the one that's probably most covered in the news so people can can get easy access to that one. Okay, so the the Maxwell trial, obviously involving Jeffrey Epstein, you and I have followed this trial. We both are in agreement. Right. Epstein did not kill himself. Did not kill himself. Let's get this out there. In week two, uh, we all. What I loved about that, Chris, most was that was the first time in my life, and I am not a spring chicken anymore. I have now. I'm on my fifth decade. This was the first time in my memory where you had a conspiracy theory that was announced before the event took place. And ended up being true. We all were saying, oh, you know, he didn't kill himself. This was before he actually died. Right. And then he he died in, in prison there. It's like, wait a second here. So no one was actually watching the prison door? How did this happen where the most watched prisoner in the entire world was able to kill himself? I have no idea, but nonetheless... He did not get killed himself. Let's just get that out there. Yep. Well, this, so this is a very sexy trial. And this week, it, it just started off. And just give me, let me give you a couple of highlights, and you can throw in what you want to throw in. Uh, right. You start off with the pilot, Paul Vizoski. And he was the pilot who, who yep. flew Epstein Jeffrey pilot. Epstein's plane. Right. Yep. And they had him testify as to who else was in this plane with Jeffrey Epstein. Well, and he me... spilled a lot of tea on this one. He dropped a lot, a lot of names. He did, but the spilled tea did not leave any stains. And so Correct. let's just go over some of these names. Uh, Donald Trump, right. Bill well, Clinton. As we go over the names, we need to also point out that just being on Epstein's plane does not make you guilty of anything. That's my point. Right. Yes. Right. They, they, we got to make that clear. They mentioned these names as being on the plane, 
right. but he also was this billionaire financier with a lot right. of money. Well, yeah. We all know politicians, they're attracted to Celebrities money. Celebrities love help money. Themselves. Right. Exactly. Uh, and so uh, you got President Trump, uh, President Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. Prince Andrew, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. That one might be uh, Dustin Hoffman, as- um, uh, uh, Ray Fiennes, Rufus Chris Wainwright, Tucker. Chris Tucker, um, Senator John uh, George Mitchell and yep. John Glenn. Yep. Um the list goes on. It was I I was listening to it and I'm just like it was literally a who's who of popular Hollywood in the late 90s early 2000s. Right, right. And so the the thought is okay, those names are being mentioned. That's salacious detail right there. This oh, is Jeffrey Epstein. He has Sex Island, but again, this was a lot of tea that was spilled, but no stains were left. And here's why: right. the pilot then testified, "Look, I saw nothing going on. There was nothing right. out of the ordinary. There was no used condom wrappers. I were, I was, I often would leave the pilot's place and go back and use the restroom. Never did I knock on the door. I just walked right through. They nothing. I, I saw nothing out of the ordinary." Right. So apparently this was just a taxi service. This is like presidential Uber rides, I guess, in yeah, the yeah. air. And, and so um, a lot of fun names were mentioned, but really they, they were not connected whatsoever to a sex island. All right. right. The second main thing to come from this week from the Maxwell trial was one of the victims testified. Now, there's four yep. victims as a part of this trial, and one of them testified under a pseudonym, Jane, because she said she's a Hollywood actress, and in Hollywood, there's a lot of victim shaming going on, so she did not want her name out there. That would hurt her chances to land some Hollywood roles. But she said that when she was 14 years old, Maxwell and Epstein targeted her, tried to, they brought her into their compound, into their, their, their business, and, uh, and they sexually abused her and made yes. her participate in different orgies there uh, yes. at their place. And so obviously this is very, very damaging testimony because not only is this testimony of an underage girl with Jeffrey Epstein, but that Maxwell participated in it as well. Indeed, which goes to all of her charges, right? We talked last week about her eight charges all being uh, trafficking with the intent to have sex with a minor. Well, now we're now this woman is testifying, this Jane is testifying to the fact that she you know, Maxwell did engage in sexual acts with the minor. This this is basic prosecution proving the elements of the crime. Right. And they, they, they brought her in. She's testifying to these central key elements. And, and so we'll, we'll, we'll keep monitoring this trial. Also on trial this last week was Jesse Smollett. And this involved... This fraud, this 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 hoax <laughs> of a of a setup where he alleged that at two a.m. in downtown Chicago he decided to go get a subway sandwich. Yep. I, I I don't even understand how he was able to even do this with a straight face, but nonetheless he was attacked at two a.m. by two MAGA wearing white dudes who recognized him as being an actor on Empire. Right, right. there, who is, is gay. Re- who is gay. That is, is gay. so ridiculous. I can't even begin to comprehend how ridiculous that is. I have no idea who Jesse Smollett is and never even saw Empire. I right. don't think two guys wearing red MAGA hats at 2 a.m. in Chicago would ever recognize who Jesse Smollett is. He must have a pretty right. big ego to think they would recognize him. But nonetheless, 
we all watched that and he alleged that he was a, a victim of this hate crime everyone came out of the woodworks to show support for jesse smollett i mean even kamala harris tweeted this is absolutely outrageous people right. should be allowed to love who they, who they love and then it turned out whoops this actually was a staged thing to generate some support he was trying to up his value if he was a yes. victim of a hate crime that would make him more valuable to the empire show this was just a ruse to right. get more money per episode and so there was a criminal investigation that was commenced all of a sudden out of nowhere the criminal investigation was stopped which we don't know why but then the the other prosecutors who said, well, wait a second here. Why did you stop this? We're going to pick this back up again. The public cannot be allowed to think this is okay to bring right. about these fake charges. All right. So jury has the jury has been selected. And this yeah. week, one of the brothers took the stand. Abinbola uh, Osendero took the stand. He's one of the brothers who... He testified the uh, Jesse Smollett hired them, him and his brother, paid them via a check to create this ruse. And so right. we'll have to see what the defense attorneys do with him. But nonetheless, that is where we were at in that trial. Well, and with the Smollett case, I think our listeners would want to know a little bit more. Like, he's being charged with six different counts, all of which are disorderly conduct because he lied to the police officers and inhibited the investigation i'm using air quotes for those who can't see me at home he inhibited the investigation into his fake attack so he's not being charged with falsifying a police report or anything to that effect but it is more of this is what happens when you lie to the police on this scale and, yes you and so it's and it's six different lies that he told and he's getting charged for each one of the lies you cannot lie to law enforcement. By the way, this is they can lie to you. this is lying about the entire crime. This is a, 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 right. a, a hoax. Uh, this is a ruse. This right. obviously was bad. It was a publicity but, stunt. But even outside of this, even when you're just talking to the police about any investigation, right. you can't lie to the cops. That is serious. That is a felony. Now, Chris, you might know this, but our listeners might not know. This. So I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you. Um, um, Oh, who is the lady who was uh, uh, arrested for insider trading? Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart. Do you know what, what she was convicted under and why she went and spent hard time in a federal prison? Perjury. P lying to the cops. It wasn't lying insider trading. It was lying. You cannot right. lie to the cops. Correct. Uh, that's how serious they're actually. That is well, an look, I love Martha Stewart because she is such a she has so much street cred now. Because, like, she when the police were asking her, she's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And she kept her mouth shut like every good criminal defendant should. Okay. Kept her mouth shut and didn't talk to the police. And because she just kept saying, I don't know, I don't know, rather than saying, I'm invoking my right to remain silent, they took the I don't knows and used them as lying to the police officers because it was proven later that she totally knew. Wow. Yeah. That is some pretty good inside information right there. I knew she lied. Yeah. I didn't know how she lied. She knew someone said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. And they took that know. as being dishonest because yeah. she did know, as compared to saying, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment right. Correct. All right. There you go. All right. Next trial that is, again, this is, there's a lot of good lot trials. Of, just so uh, much Elizabeth going on right Holmes. now. Elizabeth Holmes is on trial, the uh, the minute billionaire. Uh, she was the founder of the failed blood testing startup Theranos, uh, which I, we both agree sounds like some kind of name of a Greek god on one of these Marvel shows. Yep. But nonetheless, 
Uh, she was the founder of this, and she took the stand this week in her fraud trial. Now, Chris, I did some digging on this case. This is her fifth day on the stand. She's been there That's all a week. long time. That Since is a Thanksgiving. Long time. She's, right. this, yeah, this is her Thanksgiving. She might as well have had dinner up there. One person on the stand. Now, the prosecution has already called 27 witnesses and lasted over 11 weeks during their um, uh, their part of the trial. This is a right. very long, complicated trial, but we will follow this as well uh, because Elizabeth Holmes is alleging that she was a victim herself. Um, the other right. person who is, a, who, who is the COO of her corporation targeted her when she was 18 years of age. I say targeted. If you're 38... And right. you were trying to date and flirt with an 18-year-old. I'm sorry, I'm calling that targeting right there. Targeting. If she were my daughter, I would say, show me a gun. You can't go do that with my daughter. But nonetheless, right. I don't have daughters. God was probably kind to, to that whole situation. I have boys. But nonetheless, um, yeah, that's a, that, that is that trial. It's going on. We will follow that as, as it commences. Any thoughts on the Elizabeth Holmes trial? Well, the prosecution has been trying to get to over her five days of testimony or 11, whatever. Um, they've been trying to get to the fact that um, Balwani, which is the COO, the, the predator, preyed on her. And it, it's taken a little bit of the buildup to get there. But in this most recent days, they were talking about the text messages that they sent between each other that were not PG rated. We're not going to keep our kid-friendly podcast rating if we start reading some of these text messages because they're – wholly sexual in nature and on some level i mean they could be considered grooming uh definitely predatory behavior by balwani the whole nine yards and this was pretty much again read to the jury and this goes back to a comment you made a couple days ago is or a couple podcasts ago where we talk about the idea that we write each and every email like it's going to be read in front of a jury right i, right. I write text messages very similar ways when i'm writing text messages to my intimate partner, my wife, um, they're, they're not rated R. Uh, I'll save that. I'll, I'll save that conversation face to face. I'm not putting that in writing. Right. right, right, right. That, that is not, it's not, it's not sexy time via iMessage. It's Thank not, it's you not for happening. clarifying that. I, my right. mind went the other direction. My mind went, okay, they're not rated R. It's rated something worse than R. I'm going, whoa, wait, where are you going with this, Chris? But right. then I, you, you, you filled in the details. You said, no, I don't even do R-rated. They're only PG-13. That's all I right. text. Nope. You, you you must have a great lawyer in your life. That is uh, some do. great great legal advice. Never uh, do and that. So, now, now, you mentioned that those text messages and those emails were then read in front of the jury. Yep. Why? How is that relevant to the trial? Well, we're talking about Holmes is talking about being preyed upon. Uh, her main crux of her defense isn't fraud. It's that Balwani pretty much tricked her from being a 19-year-old girl in this company. So they're showing how Balwani was able to brainwash Holmes in the okay. hopes or, or what I would believe in the hopes of convincing the jury that she didn't have the intent to fraud, but she was rather duped. Yes, and I buy that because if you're 18 years of age and this other person is 38, right. you're going to assume that 38-year-old person has a lot more sophistication, knows how things operate, and you're going to 
defer to them. So when that other person says, hey, this this is what we should say, is what we should do, you're probably assuming, okay, this is okay to do. I'm relying on him and this is how business is done. And so it does create less culpability on her part and more on the 38-year-old's part. Well, and both of us know that we acquiesce to our partner's requests against our own better judgment often. If our wives ask us to do something and we sometimes don't want to do it, but we don't want to have that fight or we, we, we have our love goggles on or however you want to look at it, we can all relate to the fact that when an intimate partner asks us to do something, we're more likely to acquiesce because there's a stronger trust bond in that relationship. Yes, and when you're a right. 38-year-old preying on an 18-year-old who's not gone through maybe traumatic breakups or you know our first love broke our hearts and we can't get through this – then it's likely that they're going to acquiesce even more because there's an even stronger trust bond there. And let's not even throw in daddy issues to begin with. Right, right, right. And here's the other thing about this trial that really spoke to me. She lost all of her fortune. So the question was, when your company was worth so much, if she thought it really was fraudulent, why didn't she sell her shares? I mean, I would think right. even if you, it wasn't fraudulent, you should, you should diversify. She didn't. She kept on to her right. shares. They asked her, why did she do that? She believed in her company. So at a certain level, she wasn't really defrauding people. She believed in her company and what it was doing. And so she went down with the ship. All right. Right. That all leads us to the biggest legal story from this past week. Oh, man. Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. This right. is the case where Roe v. Wade is at stake. I mean, the right to abort is that is one of the issues this court could take up. And so the whole public is watching this case. I don't know where to start with this. Let me just quickly lay out the facts. Then we'll just let the conversation go where it goes. Right. But the issue. So the issue here was Mississippi had this law that banned most abortions after the 15th week. Well, the the law on the books really isn't Roe v. Wade. The public talks about Roe v. Wade because that's the the leading case. But really it's Planned Parenthood v. Casey, Casey. a 1992 decision where it set the standard of viability. And so if uh, it says, look, before vi- before the baby is viable, so before the point where the baby could survive outside the womb, the woman has a, a right to abort the baby. Post-viability, that woman's right is less so, and then the state's interest in protecting fetal life is paramount, it is greater than the woman's right to abort at that point. And so right. in that context, you get this case. And so the court took up the issue. The uh, this is the only issue the court took up. Right. Is uh, all um all prohibitions on pre-viability abortions is that unconstitutional? Is it so is it unconstitutional to prohibit any abortions or, or all abortions at the pre-viability stage? That was the issue the court took up, and so right. that's where the um that's how where we got to this last week. Did you listen to the arguments? What were your thoughts? Um, I have lots of thoughts on this because it's a, it's a it's an emotionally charged case. I think that the six conservative judges um, are going to. I I think at the end of the day they're going to overturn Roe. I or overturn Casey if we're talking correctly. I think that the the six conservative judges are very much in favor of overturning this. I think it sets a scary precedent of overturning cases uh 
that have already been decided in the court and just doing the waiting game until you get judges that are more um, aligned with your belief style. But that's a that's a whole discussion in itself. But interesting. I, thought, I think the I think the um, I think the arguments went as expected. The the team for Mississippi um, kept hammering home the point that it's a state's rights issue that they need to focus only on what the state wants. The federal government doesn't have a place in this that, um, I didn't, I don't buy and I never will buy the idea that we need to have some sort of sliding scale quote unquote roadmap under which, um, we need to analyze constitutional rights. Like it, I think it's a very, for me, it's a very binary idea of it's either a constitutional right or it's not. And let's figure out what's going on. But um, other than that, I felt the the arguments went the way they wanted to. The protests outside were the way they were going to go. I think it's just hard because Justice Kavanaugh and ACB um, kept coming back to this idea of overturning Roe v. Wade just based on the fact that um, they don't see the, the viability test being important. So well, let's let's unpack the arguments. I'm yeah. going to say right out of the gate, I disagree with you when it comes to your yeah. prediction. I do not think oh. this court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade based upon the argument. I do think they're going to uphold the 15 week restriction, but they're not going to overturn Roe. And you're going to have to listen to the rest of this podcast yeah. if you want me to unpack why I say that. But let's start off with this first thought that. The, the biggest issue during the oral argument was stare decisis. And for our non-lawyer listeners, what stare decisis means is it's this legal principle rooted in some Latin phrase that says once decided, it's always decided. It's like when right. your mom lays down a rule at your house. Don't go to her three or four times. She'll get ticked off. Once she lays down the rule, she's going to stay by her guns. And so once decided always decide. So when it comes to Roe v. Wade, the issue is that it, it was already decided. And, and right. so courts are not going to just willy-nilly overturn precedents just because they disagree with the precedents. Uh, there has to be certain factors that exist to overturn precedents. And there is this thought, and this was mentioned, that maybe Roe v. Wade is just not a precedent Maybe it's a super precedent because it's already been affirmed once in Planned Parenthood v. Casey and right. then many times after that. Yeah, I know it sounds a trite, but two wrongs, do two wrongs make a right? Well, in the legal context, the answer is yes. If the court has ruled a certain way many times, the public comes to rely on that. And so, right. again, stare decisis just means the court is going to be very reluctant to overturn its previous precedent. So that is the issue in this case. Uh, you even heard Kavanaugh run off a long list of times where the court has reversed itself. The most obvious obvious one would be in Brown v. Board of Education. Uh, mm-hmm. What happened in Plessy v. Ferguson, the Supreme Court ruled the separate but equal was okay in the t- in context of having public facilities that are not available to certain races. So look, separate facilities are okay as long as they are equal. And in Brown v. Board of Education, the Supreme Court said, now nah, we were wrong nope. 50 years ago. Right. We need to change course. And so there are times when the court will change course is this one of those times? All right, let's start off here. I'm going to play for you 
some of the argument and then let's just make some commentary on it. Let's this first this. clip I'm going to play is from the Solicitor General uh, for the United States. She was uh, arguing on behalf of Biden, you know, the federal government, the, the, the Biden administration. They can have their spokesperson there. It's called the Solicitor General. Here yep. it is Elizabeth Prelogger. And let's listen to what she says. Not every woman in America has needed to exercise this right or has wanted to, but one in four American women have had an abortion. She said that twice. Did you catch that? One in four American women have had an abortion. Right. Chris, that's not possible. Now, under our ethical rules, we are not allowed to present arguments that we don't have a factual basis for. I am wondering, did the Solicitor General of the United States just commit an ethical violation? One in four women have had an abortion. Chris, it's not even close to being accurate. Now, let me, I, I, I did some research and I, I, I went on Google. Mm -hmm. The CDC has said that there are 11, that there is uh, 11.2 abortions for every 1,000 women of childbearing ages. So 11.2 per 1,000. Now, I don't know if you're getting your calculator out. That's roughly. <laughs> one out of 10. So that's a total number of abortions. One abortion for every uh, one, or, or 11 abortions for every 1,000 women. Assuming, yeah. that's even assuming that no women have two abortions. That's one in 10. How do you get from one in 10 to, you know, uh, one out of four? I would love to hear her explain that. I think you will see some ethical complaints filed against her for that. That's an outrageous statement. I have no idea how she's going to support. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I have no data on that. I have no, I was more worried about the rest of her argument than the, the posturing of one in four. Um, I, now you say I, that, but I am very concerned because if you listen to the oral argument, there was a lot of grandstanding going on by both sides. In fact, that is one of my other yeah. comments I was going to make is at what point do we, what is the purpose of an oral argument? Nowadays, it is grandstanding. It is making points that the media runs with. If you see that quote being run throughout the media, that's when you need to raise a red flag. I don't think it will because I think that's just going to highlight that maybe some ethical charges should be brought against her. Okay, so what in a brief Google while we were talking, um, according to the Gamascher Institute out of Germany, in a objective group from 2008 to 2014, 23% of women have had um, an abortion between the ages of 18 to 44. This may be the study that she's referencing. I could shoot it over to you in a text message. Uh, right Send now. it to me because how do you get from that to 11 – there's 11.2 abortions right. per 1,000 women of, of childbearing age. You can't – those two statistics do not jive. I, I am they are totally so there far apart that they are not even possible to to put it together. But um, yeah, send that to me, and then I will I will analyze that. Right, I, and I don't know. Like I don't I don't know. People cherry pick um, studies and institutes all the time, right? You could find a study to support, like expert witnesses. You can find something to support what you have to say. That is true. That is true. I believe so. it was Mark Twain that said, "You have." Uh, lies, you have damn lies, and you and have statistics. statistics. Yep. So it is true. You can, you can find any right. statistic to back up what you want to say. Uh, all right, let me play for you this next clip. This one comes from Amy Coney Barrett. And when I heard her say this live during oral argument, I put uh, right after that, 
mic drop moment. I said, wow, mm -hmm. that, that was an amazing thing she just dropped. Now, before I play this clip, you got to understand, I don't think anything happens at the court accidentally. You just don't let things slip. And so when she says right. this, I think it was signaling something. Let me play for you this clip. There is, without question, an infringement on bodily autonomy, you know, which we have in other contexts like vaccines. Did you catch that? Yep. So in the context of abortion, she's saying, look, there's two main female interests involved here. One is um, motherhood, forced motherhood. And she, her point there was, look, now what you didn't have in, in Roe was you didn't have the safe haven laws where you could, after you delivered your child, just leave it at the doorstep of a hospital or the police station. No consequences for that. And so you don't have to go into forced motherhood. Just simply drop your baby off, no questions asked, and they will take away your baby. So she said, look, that's different. But when it comes to bodily autonomy, okay, that is another interest as that would support this right to abortion. And she dropped the vaccine comparison. Which what did you think about that? Absolute crap. Absolute crap. There is right. no there is no comparisons because abortion is not contagious. So when people draw this line of saying, oh, it's my body, my choice on the vaccine, right, you could get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine, doesn't mean you don't get to suffer the choices of not getting the vaccine, which is a whole discussion. But comparing getting a vaccine to getting an abortion is a false equivalence from the get-go because abortions are not contagious. But you, you immediately went to the second step of, of evaluating uh, some law that required forced vaccinations. And does the government have a compelling reason to do it? That's right. the second step. The first step is, do you have this bodily autonomy right to say, I don't want you to inject anything into myself? And so is that a right? And she was she dropped that in that context of, yes, you do have this right to say, I don't want you to inject something in my body, I have this, this constitutional right or this right at some level for that. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to do that, what is your basis? What is your, your reason for doing that? Did she just not give the anti-vaccine crowd a, a leg to stand on? And maybe say, oh, totally hey, did. there is a friend there at the Supreme Court for that did. argument. Oh, no, she totally leaned into that. She let everybody know that if she how she would decide on a vax case that ever made it up to the Supreme Court. Interesting. Interesting. She was definitely yeah. signal waving on that one. Yeah, I, I meant when I when she said that, it was like a mic drop moment. It's like she just dropped the vaccine equivalency argument. Yeah. Uh, and so again, I cannot think that that was accidental. Uh, I had to bit. think that was on purpose. All right, this next quote I'm going to play for you is from Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who this probably I'm going to suggest is going to be the most quoted statement from oral argument. Here you go. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? All right, what do you think about that? The, the stench, her use of the word stench, I think was done intentionally. She knew yes. that would run as the headlines in many articles about this. It'll be, it'll find its way in many law review articles. I'm assuming maybe one of her clerks wrote that line for her and that clerk should probably get a raise because most clerks do provide these bench notes for these justices. I have no right. idea, maybe she wrote that line herself. I am just guessing there. Right. But nonetheless, uh, what do you think about that quote? Well, I think she's making the point is that we're seeing a lot of advocation of 
constitutional duties by legislative branches, whether it's Congress or these state branches, and they want to send it up to the Supreme Court to have the Supreme Court make a political decision. And this has been going on for a while. This isn't like new chess by any means. The states, the as fundraising is becoming more and more prevalent, and Congress and state legislatures on both sides of the aisle are trying to pass, quote-unquote, pass laws to help them stay in power, the Supreme Court has to become has become more and more political and going, no, this is right, no, this is wrong, no, this is it. And I think it's getting to the point where the Supreme Court is becoming almost like your mom telling you, you sit in this corner and you sit in this corner, and it's becoming very, very political. Even look at, like, the confirmations of Amy Comey Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh, both Justice Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh, was a very politically fraught situation. Whereas if you look back when Justice Ginsburg who was arguably the most leftist liberal judge in the past 50 years, she had almost a unanimous confirmation. Right, right. So this is all getting – like the whole Supreme Court, everything is oozing into this political stuff. And if the legislatures were doing their job and passing laws that were actually based on the Constitution, they wouldn't have all these super high-profile cases making it to the Supreme Court. Because if you – I mean look historically, right? Brown v. Board of Education we still talk about. And that was 70 years ago. Right. You don't see a lot of high – like if, if Brown v. Board of Education was decided today, right, we would have 20 more cases and we would have like state legislatures trying to make this a political issue that's going to go up to the Supreme Court in five years anyways. Like it's, it's all become political because that's, again, how you fundraise. But that's my tinfoil conspiracy hat sort of right, thing right, is right. that it's behind – the money's behind it, right? If If, you know – CNN, Fox News, MSNBC are going to peddle you your outrage and you're going to eat it with spoonfuls. Of course, the Supreme Court's going to become a political body. Well, one of the big issues in the court today and in government today is court packing. And the response from both sides against court packing is, look, the court cannot be perceived as being a political pawn of either party. Once the court is perceived that way, it loses 100% of its power. I believe it was Hamilton uh, who said, one of the, I think it was Hamilton, if I'm wrong on that, I need to go watch that Broadway play again. But they said the court has neither purse nor uh, uh, sword, it only has judgment. And so if if the judgment is not respected, by the people, right. the court has nothing. And so here, I think what she's saying is this will be perceived as being blatant political uh, pandering. Uh, and right. so uh, uh, Trump uh, said, hey, I'm going to appoint justice who's going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So this will be seen as a political move. Now, my initial gut reaction to her statement is that's nice for you to say. Why wasn't that being said 50 years ago when you did take sides in this political debate? And so since you went one way with this political debate, now you say, hey, look, now you can't touch our political decision 50 years later. In fact, that was the main argument from the other side is, look, Supreme Court, you've taken this out of the hands of the politicians when this is, should be left in the hands of the politicians. There is no constitutional right to abortion. It's not like there's a First Amendment or a Second Amendment you can point to. You had to create some kind of penumbra of rights where you maybe could see some rights to privacy that we can kind of shoehorn in there, this thought of bodily autonomy. And so mm-hmm. you, you, you seem to have to draw, make all these connections. There is no right to abort. In fact, in 1868, when the 14th Amendment was ratified, 30 out of the 37 states 
prohibited abortion. So it wasn't this this law that they this right they were trying to protect with the Fourteenth Amendment. Nonetheless, um, it is a very valid concern on her part. If how can the court rule in this case the way the court thinks it's a proper ruling? without seeming to be political. Now, that's why I told you at the beginning of this podcast, I don't think the essence of Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. But I'm going to leave my analysis for a little bit later on, but I mm-hmm. think she is right that how will the court survive the stench of this not being a political decision? In fact, I, I think even the, um, the Mississippi legislators said, hey, look, the reason why we're passing this law is because we now have new justices. And so it, it seems to be right. a blatant political move. And it, I might agree with it, but I also agree with it, it does stink. It has a stage you, you of, know, of being political. You know what I would have loved to see, Joel? Like I and look, and you know, we've we've had this discussion. I'm a very liberal person. I'm a very I'm a very liberal person. I think that that this this Mississippi law, the Texas law as well, should be struck down. I think it's unconstitutional burdens, the whole nine yards. What you know what I thought would have been awesome, and I talked about this with a couple of my friends here, is that if Mississippi would have done a complete overhaul of how they treat um, fetal birth, how they treat pre-born Americans or pre-born children, and how they treat after-birth children, if they if they did a complete overhaul of their system, if they said instead of saying we're banning abortion at 15 weeks, we're saying we're going to do that, but you could start getting health care benefits tax benefits, right. child support. You could start applying for, you know, early education. You could start we could create universal pre-K. We you know, if 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 you know, if one in four women have had an abortion, that means that there is one in four women that view, you know, whatever because they don't have the the systems to be able to support them in raising a child. That may not be true for all of abortions, but that could be true for a, a select few. And if they and if they focused on that, you know, helping single mothers or, you know, I don't know. I just Googled it right now. And Mississippi has a ton of rape kits on the backlog that they haven't even tested yet. If they would have done a complete overhaul of all of their systems to say, not only are we going to support pro-life, we've made all these changes. So this isn't about taking away a woman's right to choose. This isn't a war on women. This is a war to help the unborn survive and thrive after birth. I agree a hundred percent that if it, it does seem political and I, it, when I say political, I mean the politicians like to use abortion to garner votes at the, the battle box to keep them in power. If they really meant what they, I think they're saying, why don't they treat this fetus as if it actually is a human being in other right. words, with full rights. I, and I actually got a call from a state legislator several years ago asking me, how would I devise, how, what would be my strategy for overturning Roe v. Wade? And this is what I told of that state legislature. Change your laws to give personhood status to the, the pre-born. So don't treat like it's some kind of second class of citizen. It's a full citizen. And they said, well, we do that. I said, do you really? No. Because Nobody does. Can you take a tax deduction? You can for your kids that are born. born. You can take a tax deduction for your kids who are not born. Therefore, you are discriminating and distinguishing right along those well, lines, as you mentioned, health insurance as well. Right. And if you look look at the stimulus packages, whether you agree with the coronavirus stimulus packages or not, you only got – and the current child tax credit, you only get credit if your kids are born. 
So you can't tell me that life begins at conception and then not in the basic thing allow for systems to be able to take care of it. Since we're on the subject, and this has been my soapbox for many years, and I know people mean well with what I'm about to say, but I still right. like to change it in our vernacular. Never say to a pregnant woman, also true, you are a mother to be. No, she no. is a mother right now. Or, in that or, hey, or to the dad, hey, you're, you're a father to be. No, you're not. Right. You are a dad right now with responsibilities. Take that out of your vernacular. Um, right. I, I believe that you are a dad and you're a mother from the moment of conception. So let's treat yeah. it that way. All right. One more clip for you from Sonia Sotomayor, which this one is going to make its way in my classes. I love this next clip. And so uh, uh, this is from Sonia Sotomayor. And let's listen. To draw Council, the line there's elsewhere. so much that's not in the Constitution including the fact that we have the last word, Marbury versus Madison. There is not anything in the Constitution that says that the court, the Supreme Court, is the last word on what the Constitution means. It's totally novel at that time. How many people out there do you think realize that? That the whole idea that the yeah. Supreme Court has the last word, judicial review, is not in our laws. It's not in our constitution. No. They just took that right upon themselves in Marbury v. Madison. That is from Justice Sonia Sotomayor sitting on the Supreme Court in open court admitting, yes, we just took that power and grabbed it because, well, we wanted that power. A any thoughts? Well, I always, well, we talk about, the, I mean, day one of, I, I was a pre-law major in undergrad. So Marbury versus Madison was the first case you learn as a pre-law major. And it's the first thing you learn as a, as a, in your constitutional law cases in law school. So it's, it should be a well-known case. They should teach it in high school. So they understand these things, but we can get back to the high school system a whole little later, but that would be the next, wouldn't that be the cool next case? Somebody, somebody comes up and challenges, it. challenges Marbury yes. versus Madison on story to on the, on these same grounds. Right on oh, the same grounds that they were wrong, they were wrong we about this. We should do a this. podcast just on Marbury v. Madison. The public would be shocked to hear what that case was about. That was a blatant political right. move by the Federalists to retain power. Indeed, uh, it, it was so it was so bad. Where the Chief Justice uh, John Marshall, who wrote the controlling opinion Marbury v. Madison, was yep. actually the Secretary of State who failed to deliver the commissions that led to Marbury v. Madison, and so right. it's a very fascinating case. I just find it interesting that there is Supreme Court justice admitted, look, yeah, we just took that power. We wanted that power. We, we took that power. So, Chris, I teach this class on Marbury v. Madison, where I point out, you know, not every country follows judicial review. There's a lot of other no. systems out there in play uh, yeah, um, uh, other than judicial review. And in addition to that, Again, it, it, it's not in our constitution. You cannot show me the constitution provision, constitutional provision that says here's where the courts have this power. It's not there. So, hey, one other clip I want to play for you. This is from the Chief Justice John Roberts. A lot of conservatives are upset with him. Yes, they think that he is not their friend. I wanted to take umbrage with you earlier when you said there are six conservatives on the Supreme Court. You would not hear a conservative say that. It would say, no, we have about five and a half. We right. don't really consider Roberts a conservative. That being said, and he's fair game in this case. I, we have no idea which way he's going. Let's listen to this, um, uh, to what, what he said. Not a dramatic departure from 
uh, viability. It is the standard that the vast majority of other countries have. Uh, when you get to the viability standard, we share uh, uh, that standard with the People's Republic of China and North Korea. And I don't think you have to be in favor of looking to international law to set our constitutional standards to be concerned if those are your share that particular time period. Wow. Another mic drop moment. See, look, our abortion laws are comparable to North Korea and China. Again, that's going to make its way to many different law reviews. Right. They might be agreeing with him. They might be disagreeing with him. But that is a game change. It's like, whoa, our abortion laws, you mean they're not within the mainstream of all these other international, you know, these other countries, but we're in line with China and North Korea? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think our abortion laws are more restrictive than the rest of of I don't think we're I think that we're in line with North Korea and 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 China and all these communist nations because our healthcare plan sucks. Our it, our our healthcare in the United States sucks. I think that we're less free when it comes to abortions than we than some other states like look at if you compare us to like New Zealand or Australia or some of the countries in Europe they have much broader abortion laws much they don't have viability tests they have up to third trimester abortions so we have more restrictive abortion laws and though i think john roberts was trying to make the point that we don't want to be like we don't want to be like north korea which is another political buzz phrase um right uh, he very much and very very closely picked his countries to create political outrage Yes, exactly. That was not an accident. He said no. that on purpose because, look, our laws are so um, uh, pro-abortion. The other countries that have similar pro-abortion laws would be North Korea and China. Is that really what we want? So this is where I'm going with this, Chris. I said earlier, yeah. I don't think the court is going to overturn the essence of Roe v. Wade. What do I right. mean by that? That there is a right to abortion. Uh, in the Constitution, found somewhere in this mm -hmm. idea of bodily autonomy, like we have with a vaccine that was also dropped there as well from uh, Amy Coney right. Barrett, but some right to be free from you forcing me to do something with my body. That right is, is going to be upheld in this case. So where, how will this case then be decided? Is a all is a law that that um, or the issue the court took up is all are all prohibitions on pre viability abortions unconstitutional? The answer to that is going to be no. And they're going to say, look, the 15 week mark is just as good as a 22 week mark as a viability mark, and so they're going to uphold this 15 week mark. Uh, and so doing, they will be upholding the essence of Roe v. Wade. Just right. moving this um, this dial back dial a back. little bit, and they're going to cite international law. See, look, this is what all these other countries are doing. That way the headlines can't be Roe v. Wade is overturned. It's going to be Roe v. Wade is upheld, and so is this Mississippi law. And, Chris, no one is going to be happy. No Everyone one. is going to be upset. That's well, my that's take on it. That's the mark of it. a good decision. That's the mark of the best court decision possible is that everybody's pissed off with it. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I and I really believe, like I, I joke about it, but I really believe that you should not be going to the court for every little Tom, Dick, Harry, Sally issue that you're having. Like if you if you don't want if you don't want to have a 15 week abortion law in Mississippi, you know what you need to do. You need to get elected to office. 
You need to go and change the districts. You need to you need to mobilize people on a grassroots basis. You need to be in your community changing hearts and minds. You don't get to have some nine justices that you hope were appointed by a president that you like determine the lifestyle for you. You need to go out there and work. It's lazy right. to put it out to the Supreme Court every time. Now, Chris, we are working on a skit that I'm going to tell you is going to blow your socks off. We are working on it. It's uh, it's in the works right now. It's going to be one that highlights the essence of of this decision. And I have no idea when the skit's going to actually be done. We're going to, going to release it, uh, but just something to, to stay tuned for. Uh, and of course, once we do come out with the skit, I'll make sure you guys are all uh, made aware. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Oh, it's, it's going to involve uh, rifles. It's going to involve doors and a lot of shooting. All right. That being said, Jeez. let's now move over to courtroom quarterback. All right, Chris, this has been a great week for me. This is probably one of the best weeks of watching football in existence. I love this point in time because we're talking about college football the, the regular season is winding down we're looking ahead to the post season and this is the time when a coach has apparently quit and and bail yes. out on their teams and they so i don't leave. understand that chris what's going on here with the coaches why are coaches taking now as the time to abandon their teams well, I mean, if they're not in the CFP or they're not in the hunt for a bowl game, it really doesn't matter what they're doing anymore now. And recruiting. Now is the time for coaches, head coaches, to get into the get into the office and start recruiting for the first of the year. So they got to get settled. You, they got to get going. They got to start recruiting and building with the boosters. You just nailed it there. I don't know. I don't know if you stumbled upon it or if you was your your intention, your first thought all along. It's about recruiting for their next gig. They don't care about their current team, what their current team is facing. They've already made the decision to leave that team. And so it's like, you know what? On my next spot, I need to start recruiting. This is the important time to recruit. Therefore, I'm going to leave this my current situation right. and go to my next team. Now, I am not just talking in a vacuum here. We have a couple of examples I want to throw out there. The most egregious is former Notre, Notre Dame head coach Kelly. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yes. Current he LSU head coach, you mean? Yes. He, he, uh, he decided to leave his team. And to go to LSU and become their head coach, right. Chris, that in and of itself is not that surprising. Do no, I think it's not a wise move? No, I think it's kind of dumb, but he's allowed to do that, I guess. Right. Though I do think it's interesting. Why are coaches allowed to change teams and break their contracts willy-nilly, but yet the players are not allowed to move and switch teams without losing eligibility? Something is wrong with that system, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, I want to look at Kelly's decision because you know, Chris, that all during this year, but let's just start at the end of last season. He probably had a team meeting with his players where he said, hey, guys, what's our goal for next year? And they all probably shouted in unison, we're going to win the national championship. They, all throughout the summer, that's probably their rallying cry. They set their schedule to win the national championship. Right. Chris, right now, they're on the precipice of winning the national championship. They, they are, are right now ranked six uh, out of all the teams to enter the college football playoffs. And if a couple things happen for them right this next week, they will be in the top right. four. 
So why at this moment in time would he then tell his players, yeah, you know what? I know what I've said. I know this is the biggest moment of your life. I know you only have four years of college eligibility. I'm going to take now as a time to bail on you. Why could he have not have stayed another month and coached his team through the college playoffs? Well, I'd say a couple of things, Joel. We both know that contracts like this don't formulate in two days. We know that these contracts take months, if not a year, to formulate. We, these are negotiations. There's things going on, especially when we get into the Lincoln-Riley contract, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But he's had to know that he was leaving. Ed had to know that he was leaving Notre Dame at the end of this year. And through, I don't know, some fluke losses, Michigan beating Ohio State super bad, Cincinnati being in the hunt, like – he didn't think Notre Dame was going to rank this high in his head. And it makes me kind of sad. He didn't have the faith in his players and in his program to think that they could be competitive for a national championship. Oh, I, I got to say, I disagree with you, Chris. I, I think he had, he knew his team was that good. Right. I, and I he think he knew it. He was, they were going to be in the championship hunt. I don't think he cared. I think he's okay. that I'll arrogant. It's all about myself. It's all yes. about what I well, want. And he could care less about his players. Well, you have to have a certain level of egotistical sociopathy if you're going to be a head coach of a of a football program or oh, a head coach of anything. I, I think you're right. I, I, how right. can he bail on his players? Now, it is possible that Notre Dame does not enter the college football playoff. It, it is possible, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know that. He's already bailed on them. He is out of the door, uh, and, and so uh, he wants to get to his next gig. It just bothers me to no end that these coaches lack integrity. He they stand in front of their players oh, no and say, "You got to give me your all. You got to sell your soul to this program, sacrifice so much for the, the team." And then when Everything. they're on the precipice of reaching their goals, he says, "Saya, Nora, I'm out the door." Now, Think Chris, of all the kids me. that got injured on the Notre Dame team this year, like a couple of the, right. the, the linebackers that gave a hundred percent out on the field, got hurt for the program, and the coach is like, I'm out. You weren't good enough. No, I don't care what you sacrificed for this program. Right. I'm out the door to greener pastures. Chris, right. there's no reason why he cannot have waited right. one month to make this decision. He could have right. even told LSU, I'm going to be your next head coach, but I'm going to stay and coach at Notre Dame and see this right. through. It's the right thing to do. He, he mm-hmm. could have said that. There's no downside from him doing that except for this downside. Right. He probably would have made the college playoffs and he would have probably gotten beat and he did not want to suffer that on his resume. So he decided to get out while the getting was good. But I well, just. And what's Bob- his resume look like? Like, let's say he goes into the CFP and they lose. He already has the spot with LSU. The guy is 61 years old. Six, 60. 60 years old. He signed a 10 year deal, which puts him at 70. What are you right. going to do at 70? After you got $9.5 million a year. Now, I'm not a math major, but 9 times 10 is 90. So you're going to have about $91 million at 70 years old. What, what do you need to do with that? What does your life look like? Yes. I think the, he's a made man. I don't think he oh, yeah. has to work another day. Right. No need to Uber in retirement. This guy has his his uh, his retirement plan all set. Uh, yeah, I, I cannot say enough bad things about Kelly there for leaving his players. He led them right to this point of their 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 right. ath- college athletic careers, and he bailed on them. Now I don't right. have a problem with him leaving them to go to a different program. He should have coached them through the bowl game. That's the right thing to do. But he. 
did not uh, do that. All right. right. Which leads us to uh, the other coaching decision, which was done by Lincoln Riley. He was the head coach of Oklahoma, and uh, he coached them this last week, and then he left. Now, he did leave Oklahoma after they lost. So for all intents and purposes, Oklahoma was out of the chase. There's no way Oklahoma's going to make it into the college football playoffs. So that's not an issue for Lincoln Riley. No, he did leave Oklahoma for USC. And so let's talk about that decision because a lot of different takeaways from this decision as it relates to conference realignment, the wisdom of Oklahoma jettisoning the big 12 for the SEC. Is that really a good call? But let's first touch on what you mentioned. How how long has this been in the works? Because here's the interesting thing about it. Lincoln Riley was rumored to be the next LSU head coach. And he, he emphatically told the press, nope, I guarantee you I am not going to be the next coach at LSU. Well, that's, that was it for the, the media. The media asked no follow-up questions. They didn't ask the follow-up, okay, how about so any where are you other going? job? Right? Yeah, where, where else are you heading? Are you staying exactly. with? They didn't ask the follow-up, which is interesting. If they had asked the follow-up, hey, what about uh, USC? Lincoln Riley would have said, I have no plans to go to USC. Because what he then told the media was, this just started landing in his lap in the wee hours of the morning. After Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma State last Which is weekend, an out and out lie. It I is, don't buy that. That is a. I will to his face. I will call that man a liar. That is a lie. Hundred percent. They are, they already had arrangements to sell his house at five hundred thousand dollars over market to buy both, him this new house both there of in his USC. Houses. Both. Are both you going to tell me all that was negotiated within twelve hours? Yeah. Both of his houses, both in both oh, both of his houses in Oklahoma for five hundred over asking price, and they had already purchased him a six million dollar house in Los Angeles. Uh, look, I, I'm trying to buy a house in Arizona. It doesn't happen in twelve hours. I don't care how much money you have. Okay. No. It and doesn't you work don't that make way. the decision to leave Oklahoma for USC. Within that short period of time, there had to have been some negotiations look, and discussions before this. And discussions with your family, your wife, your kid. Like, is this a good move for the fi- – like, well, obviously this guy doesn't have much integrity because he lied to the entire Oklahoma fan base and Oklahoma in general. But, like, you've had to have this conversation with your wife at least, right? Babe, do you want to move to Los Angeles? It's a completely different world than Oklahoma, than Norman, Oklahoma. Right. Right? Is this someplace you want to be? Are you – like, come on, man. You – you just didn't up and go Sunday morning. Hey, babe, we're moving to Los Angeles. No, they had to have been thinking about it. It had to right. be discussed amongst his family, his kids. This was a family Everything. decision. It just does not happen in less than a 24 hours. So I don't no. buy that as well. I'm calling BS on the idea. The first time you thought about it was after the loss against Oklahoma State, which it does bring me to a lot of people reported that Lincoln Riley took this job because he was scared of the SEC. He was dodging oh, the SEC. Geez. Now, I don't necessarily buy that, uh, but I do think this. There's a lot of arrogance out there that there's only one football conference, and that's right. the SEC. They Correct. are the best. There, no one else even matters in the landscape of college football. That just makes me want to puke. I cannot stand the SEC. Why is the USC job not superior to all jobs? I said it. 
all jobs at the SEC. Why is that job not superior to everything the SEC has to offer? Well, because, again, people look at the SEC and they think that that's the power conference in college football. I, As much as Lincoln Riley, I don't like him because he's not a good person based on his, his decision to lie to Oklahoma and their fans. Because, again, I'm big on loyalty. I hope he goes into USC and I hope he kills it. I hope he brings up that program. I hope he dominates. I hope they get a national championship. I hope they do all those things because I dislike Nick Saban and the the SEC more than I dislike this guy's decision to go to USC. Oh, it wasn't that long ago that Pete Carroll was the coach of USC and they were dominant winning national title after national title there from USC. It is a great gig. And as I've been saying on this podcast and also outside of this podcast, that now that we have uh, NILs, you you can sell your image, you can sell your image and likeness. The big benefactors of that decision is going to be one, your established traditional powerhouse, your blue blood programs that have national appeal. But then secondly, your city schools, your big population schools, because you can sell your name, image, and likeness to a bigger population and right. get you know, better money for oh, your, oh. Your, your name. Oh, yeah. UCLA, you, USC, they're all going to be huge in that because of where they're located. Exactly. Those two schools fit both of those molds. They are traditional. They are, they are blue bloods when it comes to college football. And they are also in big population bases. That is where the future of college football is going to be. Your big right. city schools that also have a, a nationwide following. And so I thought it was a grand slam wind of a move for Lincoln Riley to go to USC and not to go to the SEC. I mean, what is so special about the SEC? I don't understand this love affair with the SEC. And so I'm very glad that he did it. I think he maybe saved college football in this whole SEC <laughs> love affair. Hopefully other Hopefully. coaches will now follow him now to the, 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 the Pac-12. And so we can get a little bit, we can get at least someone to knock down the SEC. Any other thoughts on that? Well, and being that I work for a Pac-12 school, right, ASU Sun Devils, I love right. this idea of making the Pac-12 more competitive. That means we're going to get more, I mean, from a career standpoint, we're going to get a lot more playtime when ASU plays USC. We're going to get a lot more discussion. We're going to drive more players better players to our school, which is going to rise up the the notoriety of ASU and all of the Pac-12 schools. So I love this. I, I want to take away from the SCC and their like dominance over what is and is not important in college. So I bring the pain, man. Lincoln Kelly, I don't like you and you're a lying piece of crap, but hey, thanks for coming our direction. <laughs> That's right. I wonder if Oklahoma now really regrets the move to the SEC. I think it's a colossally stupid decision I on think Oklahoma's it's, part. I think it's hilarious because the same way that Oklahoma made it to the SEC is the same way that Lincoln Kelly made it to USC. Lincoln Riley, yes. Yeah, or Lincoln Riley made it to USC. You just joined our two horrible coaches this week into one horrible monster person. I like that comment. That's a great Freudian slip. It is. It's perfect. But Oklahoma was like, Hanging out. No, we're going to hang out in the Big Ten. We're going to keep... Blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, boom, we're in the S- SEC. And Lincoln's like, yeah, Oklahoma's going to be a mecca of football. And then the next week, USC is the new mecca of football. You're like... I know. I love... Hey, what's good for the goose? Good for the gander. It is going to be awfully hard for Oklahoma now to get a new coach. And it's not that easy to get a new coach. Oklahoma <laughs> fans, uh, just go back in your history. 
Do you remember a person named John Blake? I think you had a couple of other coaches there as well. You struggled for many years until you landed on one Bob Stoops. Now, maybe Bob Stoops might come back and save you in the Urban near future. Meyer. I know he's I know he's going to coach you guys in the, the Oklahoma during the bowl game, uh, mm-hmm. but will he come back after that? I, I'm not so sure. But it's, a, it's I would be scared if I were an Oklahoma fan. That was a horribly stupid, short-sighted decision to go to the SEC. It didn't even mean more money. I mean, I have heard it said this week that the most ideal coaching job is to be a big fish in a small pond. Small pond. That was your oh, for path, sure. Your path to the championship is much better if you were Florida State. Remember when Bobby Bowden went to Florida State? Big fish in a small pond. He... Florida State he went to the heights of college football with that formula. If you're in the SEC, you know what? They fired their coach at LSU two years after winning a national championship. Right. That's not a good place to be. Right. Uh, and so I, I, I like Lincoln Riley's move uh, to, to USC. I just wish he'd been more honest about it. You know, just say, hey, right. that's what I'm doing. I've been thinking about right. it for a couple of months, and I'm moving over to USC. And it's because business. We get it. It's business. You jump ship. We've, you've quit a job, Joel. I've quit a job. I've moved to a competitor. I've left a law firm and gone to another law firm. You do that. It's not, it's not unfathomable that people quit jobs and move to new places. Just don't be a jerk about it. Don't, I agree. Don't leave. And, and look, as a, as a lawyer in a law firm, right? you quit. You maybe hurt some clients' feelings, your coworkers' feelings. But as a second-year associate or a third-year associate, you know, you're not doing anything. A managing partner quits. That could be devastating to a firm. Hey, we have had a lot of fun today talking about a lot of law and a lot of sports, but it's that time for us to make our picks. I know a lot of people out there are waiting to make their gambling picks. They're waiting (laughs) to hear from us. So I'll let you go first. What are your picks for these, this upcoming week's games? All right. We're having the uh, rivalry games. They keep coming. We got 49ers at Seattle. The uh, over-under is uh, 3.5, or I'm sorry, uh, Niners are favored by 3.5. So I'm going to take the Niners to cover the spread. Um, I'm not really going to touch the over-under. It's 45. It's it's a toss-up. So I'm going to take Niners to cover. We got Cardinals at Bears. We have the Cardinals are favored by 7.5. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Cardinals because it's the Bears. Okay. Uh, Not that I, I have anything against the bears but it's the cards and the bears jaguars at rams come on it's my two favorite things right urban meyer is going <laughs> to lose right. the rams are going to win so the rams are favored by 13 i don't i i think they're going to cover i really do think they're going to cover that so rams are going to win by at least two touchdowns and then the last one i got is the patriots at the bills now okay. bills are favored by 3 the right. pats are on fire right now absolutely on fire tearing through things. So I think the Patriots are going to beat the bills. That's going to be my wild card this week. Okay. Wow. And we then lastly, sim- yes. lastly, we have the army Navy game. Oh, actually that's on December 11th. We'll, we'll pass for that one next week. Cause then we can talk about my love for the army Navy game. Okay. Let me give you my four picks and I need your help for my fifth pick. And you and I, I have it. a lot of the same games, which I thought was really weird that you and I happen right. to pick the same games, not necessarily the same opponent. Now, my spreads are a little bit different, and so I think I'll take whatever is the better one that will work for me. But let's start with the Cardinals-Bears. Cardinals, I okay. have as an eight-point favorite. My gut is telling me the Bears are, are good for these eight points. Uh, I, I, Ooh, here's I why. like this. I love this. 
you have a coach who's coaching for his life. His job is on the line. They've got to come out fighting. Either the team's going to come out and rally for their coach because they love their coach, or their coach will be fired. It's one or the other. Do these players actually care about their coach? If so, they will show up and cover that eight-point spread. And so I, I'm going to go with the Bears here. They are the home team. I think they'll cover those eight points. I love it. 49ers, Seahawks. I ha You said that's a two-and-a-half-point spread? That's what Yahoo says. That's all right, I'll take to. that. I have a three-point spread, but nonetheless, yeah. it's probably all the same. Right. I'm going to take the 49ers there as well. I, I do not feel good about this pick, but mm -hmm. the Seahawks have disappointed me time after time. I keep going with the Seahawks. It's time I bail. I, I think their quarterback is done. I I think he's he, – I have, I have no idea what's going on with Russell Wilson. Yeah. He looks good. I He's always looked good to me. Ever since he was in Wisconsin, he beat up on my Nebraska Cornhuskers. He's always impressed me. Not this year. Something is wrong up there in Seattle. And so I'm wrong. gonna take the 49ers to uh to cover this three or two and a half a point spread. Patriots and Bills, Monday Ooh. night game. Monday night again. I I got I gotta go with the Bills. Uh the Patriots are are uh um, I love it. Um now I, I showing here that the, the Bills are favored by two and a half. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, the Bills are favored by two and a half, so they got to cover right. that two and a half point spread. Spread. The Patriots are the hottest team. Uh, the the allegedly the best coach in the NFL. I say allegedly. No. When you uh, no, when he's you allow cheating. He is the best coach yeah. since he knows how to cheat so well. Uh, you probably will cheat again this week, but nonetheless, I'm going to go with the Bills uh, to to um, uh, cover the two and a half point spread again. The home team. And then my next pick is Georgia Alabama. Now this one, I'm going to give you my reasoning. Right. Georgia is a six and a half point favorite on this game. I think Alabama is a fraud this year. Yep. I just think they are. I, they have not beat. They've only beaten one top ten team. One. That's it. No one else. They beat Ole Miss, who now is in the top ten. Outside of Ole Miss, none of the other teams are ranked that high. They lost to A and M, right. and Alabama last week. They should have lost that game. They played they against should've. Auburn they totally in, in the Iron Bowl. The Auburn's running back made a colossal, stupid mistake when he ran out of bounds with a minute left, a minute and a half left, and Alabama had no timeouts. That would have ran off another 40 clock. to 45 yeah. seconds off the clock. It would have been the end of the game, but for some stupid reason, he ran out of bounds. I am not a big believer in Alabama this year. I think Georgia is going to blow bit. them out, so I'm going to take those six and a half points. Here's where I need your help, Chris. I got you. I, I have two games left. All right. Last time, I did not listen to you, and it, it burned me. It cost Oregon, you big time. Oregon versus Utah. Utah is a um, two-and-a-half-point favorite, even though right. Oregon is ranked way higher. Last time, I picked Oregon. You told me I was an idiot. Turns out you were way right on that one. Utah blew Oregon out. The second game is Oklahoma State versus Baylor. This is uh, the for the Big 12 championship. Oklahoma right. City is a five and a half a point favorite. It is being played in Texas. And so you're thinking this is going to be a close to a home game right. for, for Baylor. Right, right. Any thoughts on, on what either of those two games? So I think that Oklahoma is still going to win, but I don't think they're going to cover. I think it's going to be a tight fought victory. Baylor is going to show up a little bit, but Oklahoma is going to win by a field goal. Or, or some like extra point or a safety or something like I don't think that they're going to cover the the five. 
You think See, Oklahoma State is going to win and not cover the five-and-a-half-point spread. What right. is your take on Oregon-Utah? Or are you just staying away from that one because it's a rematch? No, I, see, we talked about this a little earlier. I hate rematches, right? They only favor Oregon. The rematch favors right. Oregon because they have something to prove now, and um, Utah's going to go in there overconfident. Do I? I think I. You know what? I might go even money that Oregon takes it. Okay. Right. I think that. Uh, I mean, both are out of the CFP. There's no way that Oregon's going to make it back into right. into the into the top four. That's just not going to happen. But. I think that they have something to prove that they that they deserve to be a better you know better ranked team than what they are now. Again, for purposes of recruiting next year. All right, I'm going to take you on that one. I'm going to take Oregon plus the two and a half then because not only are you saying right. Oregon's probably going to win, I get two and a half points plus on that one. So that seems I'm, I'm right. comfortable with that one. So there you go. Those are my five picks for this week. All right, Chris, it. hey, it's been a fascinating week this week. I'm assuming we have a lot to cover for next week as well. Oh, next week's going to be insane. So have a great week, and we'll talk to you then. You too, Joel. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. <laughs>